Well, the last time I was here, I asked you to pray because we were going to be going to power back to uh, speak to the patients there and visit rooms. And Lord bless us, we had two people pray to receive Christ while we were there. And uh, it, was, it was a blessing. Uh, each time we go there, we're blessed to, to see people mostly in their, what, 70s, 80s, sometimes 90s. And the light goes on when, they, when we read to them from the scriptures. And they accept Christ. You just see a change in their whole personality uh, when they accept Christ. And uh, the Bible says all heaven rejoices when one soul comes to Christ. Amen? Amen. While we were there, we learned about the, the helicopter crash with Kobe Bryant and his daughter. And uh, everybody was talking about that on the way out. And we were just, Donna and I were just marveling at how quickly things change. You're going to on a helicopter ride to what you think is a great event and you never make it. But life is like that, isn't it? It can change in an instant. It can change in a, in, in, in a short period of time. Life can change. So we as believers need to be prepared, don't we? We need to know our hope is in who? Jesus Christ. Alright? And to be absent from this body for us as believers is what? The next step is to be present with the Lord, which Paul says is far better. Amen? Amen. Okay. Uh, let me take my glasses back off. We're going to be uh, looking, going back into the book of Luke. Our scripture is in Luke chapter 16. This was a real interesting passage of scripture for me. Because I've never heard a message preached on this scripture. It sits in between two popular stories, which is uh, the parable of the prodigal son, which Pastor John probably spoke on last week, right? No? Yes? Okay. And then it sits between the story after that of the rich man and Lazarus. And uh, they both die, and Lazarus goes in the presence of God, and, and the rich man ends up in Hades. Those two stories we know. This one in the middle, I've never heard anybody preach on it, and I was a little concerned. I looked around to see what the commentaries might say, and as I studied it, didn't find much. But after uh, looking at it again and again and praying about it, God gave me a message. So I hope I can share that with you this morning, all right? First of all, uh, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for each person that's here this morning. We pray, oh God, once again, as your word goes forth. It's not my word. It's your word, Lord. Your word is living, sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. Able to do things that nothing else can do in our hearts. And I pray for each person here that as we read from your word, that uh, what is spoken will speak to hearts, Lord. It will change lives. It will change thinking, Lord God, so that we can honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, again, Luke chapter 16, our uh, text is uh, verses 1 through 18. I want to read that very quickly, and then I'll break it down, all right? Everybody have their Bible? Shake the dust off. Come on. <laughs> Luke chapter 16 says, Now he was also saying to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported 
to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What's this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master has taken the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. I hear a little back, back up on the microphone here. Um, and the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? Who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. And he said to him, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. <coughs> Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay, here in Luke chapter 16, let's, let's go over a little bit in chapter 15. Uh, in chapter 15 of Luke, Jesus is addressing the grumbling Pharisees and the, and the scribes who say, um, this man Jesus receives sinners and he eats with them. That was their complaint. And so Jesus tells them the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and last of all, the parable of of the prodigal son. So now we come to chapter 16 and his audience changes. Remember he was speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes. Now in verse 16 it says that he's now talking to who? His disciples. But the Pharisees and Sadducees are within 
listening distance as he tells this parable. What do we say a parable is, first of all? What is a parable? It's quite tell me. Not all at once. It's like a lesson. It's a lesson. But what about what about the parable? What's unique about the parable? And Jesus told a whole lot of them in the New Testament. But what are they? Stories. Stories? Okay. Okay. So, a parable is a simple story. It's a story that everybody could understand. But buried within the parable is a spiritual lesson that not, nobody could understand unless it was explained to them. So, in these parables, there's the outward story that looks pretty much what it is, but underneath there's another story that is a spiritual story. So hopefully as we go through this, we can realize within this parable there is also a spiritual application. So, in chapter 16, Jesus is now speaking to his disciples. And he says, a certain rich man has a manager or steward who has been reported to him to be squandering his master's possessions. That's interesting, isn't it? So here's a rich man. A lot of money, a lot of things going on. Somebody comes and tells him, you know what? Your manager is not doing right. He's squandering. He's wasting your, 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 your materials. He's not being careful. So how does, the, how does the rich man respond? He calls him in person. And he says, what is this I hear about you? Given accounting of your management, you can no longer be manager. In other words, you are fired. Now, one thing I learned in business, you never fire anybody from accounting and leave them in their position. <laughs> uh, there's some stories about, uh, I remember one story of a, of a gentleman that was fired from his job. Within 24 hours, he got into the computer system and erased all the accounts receivable. For the company. Can you imagine that? He raised all the accounts receivable. The company had to place ads in the paper asking people to pay them. We don't know what you owe, but please pay us. And that company went bankrupt. And I was taught when I worked uh, in management, if you fire anybody that is on our computer system, they already pack their stuff immediately and walk out because they can do tremendous damage to us. There's another story about a gentleman that was fired and left what's called a Trojan horse in the computer. That means a program that he put in there that after a certain days it would do damage to the whole system. So, what this manager did wasn't too wise. He fires his manager and he says, uh, I'm taking the position from you, but I want you to give me an accounting of what you have done. Not too wise. So, we get to verse 3. The manager says to himself, whenever you read that verse in the Bible, look out for what comes next. <laughs> but he begins to think to himself, and he says, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. So, this manager... He's not thinking at all about his master. His thought is, first of all, what? 
What's going to happen to me? There's no remorse. There's no sorrow having squandered uh, the, the, the rich man's uh, possessions. His concern is, man, what's going to happen to me? I'm not going to have a, a position anymore. And um, he says, um, I'm not strong enough to dig. In other words, he's, he's lazy. I'm not strong enough to dig. You can't put a shovel in my hand. I can't do that. And I'm too ashamed to beg. He's got a lot of pride. So he's got to come up with something. He says, I know what I shall do. So when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. Novel idea, right? So what does he do? He calls in the creditors of his master. His master, no doubt, had a lot of creditors that owed a lot of money. And this is just an example of what he did with a couple of them. He called one in, and he said, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. That's a sign when somebody's doing something wrong when they want you to do it quickly, right? But he tells them to do it quickly. Then he calls the next one. He says, how much do you owe? And he says, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, quick, take your bill and write 80. So what is he doing? Number one, um, this manager, after being caught for squandering his master's possessions, he is now creating a net safety net for himself. His new plan is self-serving, causing further damage to his master. Okay? He's causing further damage to his master. He already caused damage, but now he's causing more damage. Not only now, but to the master's future. So, he provides for his future by bringing others into his circle of wickedness. Right? In other words, now these folks are doing something wrong. They weren't doing anything wrong at first, but now he's called them in. They never ask, why are you reducing my bill? He just said, do it quickly. Don't think about it, just do it. And what does that make them do? We have a word for that. It makes them complacent. It makes them part of the crime. Because they are accepting this reduction in the bill. Um, so the, un the unfaithful manager now has a list of debtors. He's the only one that has the original list of debtors and what they owe. What does that give him? It gives him power over those people, doesn't it? What do we call that? We call that blackmail, right? <laughs> because now only you and I know how much you really owe. So can I come over to your house for dinner? Sure, come on. So he's ensured a future for himself by doing this. Now the incredible thing about this, and this is where I really got stuck, is that verse 8, how did his, somehow his master found out what was going on. Somehow somebody leaked. Maybe it was one of the customers that came and said, look, I've got to tell you something. Your manager has given me half a bill, but I owe you this. Whatever, he found out about it. What did the master do? He praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. 
to do a double take. He praised him. But you know why he praised him? He didn't praise him because of his dishonesty. He praised him because of his quick thinking. You know, he appreciated that. He said, wow, I wouldn't have thought of that. You're still fired, but <laughs> that's a great idea. <coughs> so why does Jesus mention that? He says, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So I wrestled over that verse because it didn't make a lot of sense to me what Jesus was saying. And here's what I came up with as I studied. It says, um, much to everybody's surprise, the master praised the manager because he had acted shrewdly or with creative ingenuity. Jesus says, for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. So who are the sons of this age? That's the people that don't know God, don't know Christ. They're the sons of this age. And who are the sons of light? That would be us. And what he says is that the sons of this age are, are more shrewd in relationship to what they're doing than we are. And the sons of this age, I'm sorry, we believers, I'm sorry, I, I lost my place here. Okay, the sons of this age, when it comes to using their earthly resources, this is what Jesus is trying to get across, to accomplish their desired future, their experts are doing it. How do they do that? Well, think about Mr. Rowan. Mr. Rowan donated, I think, almost $100 million to Glassboro State College. What is Glassboro State College now called? Rowan University. So guess what? He took his resources, he brought himself a future presence. Because that college is always going to be called Rowan now. And his name will always be remembered. Look at, when you look around the world, you look at the many people that have colleges named after them, they have stadiums named after them. Now every bowl game has a sponsor. Uh, sporting events, they sponsor great humanity, humanitarian efforts, sometimes to cover up their wicked deeds. But that's how the world does it. On one end, he's, he's destroying people. On the other end, he's giving away money to feed the poor. But this is the way the world balances itself. So why would he tell us that? So in verse 9, and this is, and this is what I wrestled with. I, I just said, what is he talking about? These people are doing wrong. How does he, what does he say to us as believers? We can't do what they're doing. They're not doing the right thing. But verse 9, and look at verse 9. This struck me. But I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. And here's what Jesus was saying. He says, you have material possessions. We all have material possessions, don't we? We all have things, don't we? We don't may not have a lot of things, but we have things. He says, use your things to make friends so that you can help draw them to receive Jesus Christ. I said, wow, that's interesting. 
So just like the world uses its wealth to further its goals, we can use what God gives us to further the goals of the kingdom. Or it just takes a simple cup of coffee, invite the neighbor. Or it takes opening up your home and inviting somebody over for dinner. Or seeing somebody in need and, and taking some of your resources and helping them. That can draw somebody to Christ, can't it? But the other thing is that when we get to heaven, the people that we have influenced will be in heaven with us. And they will welcome us. Because we were such an important part of their lives. We've done something that encouraged them to come to Christ. The world gets its reward here. Mr. Rowan will always have that college named after him. Mr. Ford will always have that foundation named after him. But that's, that ends, doesn't it? It all comes to an end when the world ends. And God says, yeah, you can do a similar thing to them, but it's not going to end. When you pass away and you go to be with, in heaven, that will last. You will have used the unrighteous things to accomplish a righteous purpose. Is that a novel idea? It was novel to me. <laughs> so, um, every, anybody heard of Jim Elliott? If you heard of Jim, Jim Elliott, put your hand up. Nobody? Jim Elliott was a missionary, young man who became a missionary. He went to the Amazon. Uh, he and another number of missionaries to a tribe that nobody had ever reached before. And they began to reach out to them, and began to share the gospel with them, and began to make some inroads. This tribe didn't speak English. They had to learn some of their language and so forth and so on. And one day, the five missionaries went to the tribe, and the tribe killed them all. Executed all five of them. And um, as a result of that, everybody around the world was devastated. God used that in the lives of their wives who ended up going to the exact same area. And their deaths opened the door for them to take the gospel into that whole tribe. And much of that tribe came into the world. But Jim Elliott wrote something that was interesting. He has a lot of quotes. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I repeat, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that interesting? So, it lines up with what Jesus is saying. Look, this stuff we're holding on to, these possessions we think are so valuable, it's all going to come to an end. You can't take it with you. There's no U-Hauls at any funerals. You can't take it with you. But you can invest the unrighteous material things that you have to gain reward in the kingdom of God. Amen? So, we go to verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus says, He who is faithful in a little I'm sorry, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous in much. So Jesus said, it's not how much you have, it's how you use what you have. See, a lot of people saying, yeah, when I hit the lottery, that's when I'll give you a big tithe. But when I, 
and I strike it rich. <clears throat> but God says, no, 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 your telltale is right now what you do, what you have. If you remember uh, when the Pharisees were bringing offerings, there was a little widow who came up, and she put a penny in the offering. And she used to stop everything. This woman has given the greatest gift of them all. And all the Pharisees and everybody said, well, she only put a penny in there. Jesus said, no, you don't get it. She gave all she had. She gave all she had. It's not the amount. It's the heart. And each of us have things that we hold on to that we can let go of, that we can give to help further the kingdom in the hearts of people around us. All right, uh, verse 11. See, so you guys are getting tired of me already. All right, verse 11. <laughs> no, we're not. Please sit down, man. You're bringing, you're bringing conviction. <laughs> Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? So, God is saying he's not going to reward unfaithful stewards. If you're unfaithful now down here on earth, don't expect to receive any great reward when you get to heaven. Because God is not going to reward unfaithfulness. And we all struggle with unfaithfulness. We all struggle with being bad stewards. We all struggle with uh, not using what God has given us to further the kingdom of God. When we get things, we think, oh, this is mine. When we get we get possessions, we want to hold on to them. And God says, no, I want you to let go. I want you to let go so I can bless you more. I can bring you more. But you can also invest in bringing people to know me. How about missions? This church is one of the few that gives to missions. That was a little few dollars we give to missions go a long way to taking the gospel to other parts of the world or communities that don't have the gospel. That's a way we can invest our monies to help bring people to Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? God is saying, if, if I can't trust you to handle my stuff, I'm not going to give you any more. You can't handle that. You can't handle that. Uh, verse 13. And this is a, a memory verse a lot of people memorized. Uh, 16, 13. It says, No servant can serve two masters. You remember in the circus you had a guy riding two horses? You ever see that? He's riding two horses. At some point, the horses are going like this. He has to make a decision. <laughs> right? So, Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You cannot serve God in wealth. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we can't have any money in savings, we can't have any... But we cannot allow that to compete with our love for Jesus Christ. We cannot let possessions or money 
become something that we worship. Because we can't serve God and we can't serve material things. I can't tell you how many people tell me, you know, when I get this new car, it's going to be used for God. I'm going to be picking up people for church and all, and they get that new car and not a soul gets in it but them. <laughs> Why? Because we get selfish. Or when I get this new house, man, you wait to see all the great Christian fellowships I have. It's been two years, you ain't opened the door yet. <laughs> so, God says we, we can't serve two masters at the same time. Now, verse 16 is, is very interesting because Jesus switches audiences. In verse 16 it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things, and they were scoffing at him. Remember we talked about the Pharisees, how they hated Jesus Christ. They hated what he represented. They wouldn't accept him as the Messiah. And we said that the, the Pharisees counted on the law to get them to heaven. They were holy men on the outside, but wicked on the inside. And Jesus kept calling them out, you hypocrites. Don't, folks, don't be anything like these hypocrites. And they hated Jesus for that. But here, Jesus is talking about the love of money, and, and he's really stepping on their toes. And they're scoffing at him. Oh, you shut up. You stop talking. And here's what he said to them. He said, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. And that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. In other words, he says to, the, to these Pharisees who are laughing at him and scoffing at him, he says, listen, you just, people think that you are who you say you are. They think that you're holy and righteous. But God knows your heart. And what he's saying is, I know your heart. Because I'm God. I know your heart. And he says in verse 16, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Until John the Baptist came. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. And I wrote down a scripture uh, I don't have it ready in front of me, but it talks about when John the Baptist was preaching the gospel of repentance, people from all over were coming to be baptized. But among those people that came to be baptized were a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees. And Jesus said, you brood of vipers? Who told you to come out here? In other words, why were they coming out to get baptized? Because they wanted to show everybody that, hey, I'm with this. This is wonderful. I'm part of this. But Jesus said, you're nothing but a brood of vipers. You're sneaky snakes trying to come in and act like you're getting into the kingdom of heaven. But you're not getting in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, why? He says, the law, in verse 16, the law and the prophets work of, I'm sorry, uh, verse 17 says, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of the letter of the law to fall. In other words, you Pharisees and Sadducees are depending on your obedience to the law. You say, guess what? You can't be perfect enough because even a slash over the T is, a, is accountable to you and you can't make it. He said, none of the laws are going to pass away. If you want to depend on that, it's not going to work. And then he goes to verse 18. He says, everyone, and I wonder why verse 18, because it didn't fit in anything here. I said, why did he go to this? He said, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. 
And he who marries one who is divorced from a husband commits adultery. And what Jesus was saying to uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees, when it came to divorce, they had written their own laws for divorce. You could, do, you could divorce a wife for basically anything, as long as you had a, had a recommendation from the other Pharisees and you signed off on it. She burned a toast, okay, you can divorce her. <laughs> Jesus said, listen, you've convoluted that very important law. You're not going to make it into heaven based on obeying the law, because you, you, you've twisted the law around. And this is one of the most important laws, is marriage and divorce. And you've convoluted that. So, this passage, what Jesus is telling us is, you know what? If, if we are stewards, if we are managers, that means we don't own anything. You ever think about that? You don't actually own anything in this world, do you? Anybody here own anything? I think it'll be gone by the end of the day. <laughs> we really don't own anything. We are stewards of what God has given us. And with that stewardship, with that responsibility of manager comes things that God wants us to do. Why is it that we get saved, God doesn't just take us straight to heaven? Why does he leave us down here? Well, it tells us in Scripture, God wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to sow into the kingdom and produce fruit according to how he's blessed us. And if we're not doing that, then we are not being good stewards. Because God's given us health, he's given us strength, he's put us in America, the greatest country in the world. We have homes, we have clothing, we have one or two vehicles. We have all these things, but what are we doing to reinvest them into the kingdom of God. So that's what I'll leave you with. You can stone me on the way up. <laughs> Everybody understand that? Okay, so when we collect an offering, God asks us to give a small percentage of what we have back to him. But really, you know what he could do? He could say, give it all to me. I want your paycheck. I want your social security check. I want everything. I want the keys to the house, the keys to your car. He has a right to ask for it all, but he doesn't. He says, just give me a portion. Give me an offering. We have a hard time with that, don't we? Don't we? Mm -hmm. Don't we? We have a hard time with that. So we need to ask God to change our hearts and be willing to give. Be willing to let go. And that speaks for me, too. I can give more than I'm getting. And they just said to me, I need to give more to help the kingdom of God and let go of things, you know, so that others can be blessed. And when I get to heaven, I want to have people say, you know what, I remember you. You helped me at a time I needed help. You introduced me to Christ. That's the only thing that's going to count when we get to heaven. God's not going to say, oh, John, by the way, how much money do you have in your bank account? Or how many cars did you have? You had a great wardrobe. It's, not, it's meaningless. The only thing God wants to know is what did you do with what I gave you? How did you invest the gospel? How did you invest the things I put in your hands so that others could come into the kingdom? Amen? Amen. Amen. That wasn't a strong amen, but that's okay. Let's go to the prayer.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share from your word. Lord, I don't know how to put up a job I did. It's a hard passage for me to explain. But Lord, you did something in my heart in showing me the need to dig deeper in my pocket. Showing me the need to let go of more things so that the kingdom can grow, so that people can come to you, Lord. Father, I pray you, pray you would touch the hearts of everybody here today. And we give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.